Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? We are starting a new series, series 21. This is all around cognitive bias. And we've done a series, if this sounds familiar, we've done a series. Actually, it was a listener's choice on cognitive bias that was about, I don't know, 10 or 11 months ago. About that, um, yeah. Yeah, about that. And it was, we really focused on that, on that listener's choice around the biases that we as sellers face and that we're subject to. So we decided to do a two-part series on... Um, biases that our buyers have. So this will be a slightly nuanced approach to it, uh, but that was a really popular episode and we thought it would be worth following up this episode on on getting a little bit more detailed. And we'll talk about 13 different biases that our customers or prospects um, face and then how to potentially overcome them. We'll talk about some sales stories that we've encountered these as well. And today we'll hit on six of these and Next week, next Monday, we'll hit on seven more. Yeah, I think it's important that we we really recognize these and understand that I think we have emotions, our teams talk through strategies and plans to overcome ro- roadblocks, and um, you just took a call on a project that has roadblocks and issues, and you know the, the reality is, is a lot of times these cognis- cognitive biases are driving those things from the customer's perspective. So these should definitely make you a better seller if you put this in your toolbox of many tools uh, and use them to your advantage. It should help you help customers uh, see the advantage of your product and hopefully not have the bias that they have as they're talking to you. And I, I think what I have always loved about sales is it's a bit of psychology. And I think I think that's why these episodes are so um, popular is because I think people like the psychology behind it. They talk about how the brain has evolved in really strange ways and how we've developed mental shortcuts because instead of, uh, you know, protecting ourselves from tigers in caves, uh, we protect ourselves and we protect our routines in other ways. Um, And these, these adaptations can cloud judgments and clouds how prospects and customers make decisions and get in the way of us trying to get a deal done. And that's really what we're getting paid to do is to find ways with prospects to get deals done and, and to overcome these obstacles. I know a lot of uh, sales training these days has turned into overcoming obstacles and, um, and really this is, is kind of part of it, but I think would be relevant to uh, any seller selling anything. No doubt. I'm sure many customers see us salespeople as tigers in caves. No question. No doubt. No doubt. All right. So we will hit on uh, six of them today and we'll hit on seven of them next Monday. And Bobby, we're going to start with attentional bias. And well, first I'll kind of start off with the definition of it. And then we'll talk about, you know, practically how does this manifest itself in our engagements with prospects? So intentional bias is the tendency for people's perceptions and actions to be affected by reoccurring thoughts or recurring thoughts, I should say, they've had in similar situations. So during the sales process, your prospects, they may have um, a hesitation or they may reject uh, going down the path of your solution or product or your wares because of previous sales interactions they've had. And what you're looking to do here is overcome the prospect's immediate desire to raise objections. 
and this is probably the most common one and it's what keeps us from being able to get in the door is this intention attentional bias so the again the prospect here you you say i can fix all of your accounting woes and the prospect says yep that's what uh, company x told me three years ago when we bought their their software and it has not solved any of those issues uh bobby that's this is one that's familiar to you i suppose oh yeah and I, I maybe we've created it. I'm sure we created it as salespeople with uh, maybe overcommitting and overcommitting and under delivering. Um, but I, I think it's it's the reason I use this example a lot. It's the reason why we don't answer the phone at night, uh, or mm-hmm. most of our phones. We're so tired of robocalls because we just know what that robocall is going to be, or that sales call is going to be when it comes in. And we're te- we're intentionally not answering that phone call because we don't believe anybody can provide us any value, uh, and probably someone could, but it, we're we're closing the door long before we even talk to anybody, and and that's the way sales sales interactions work with customers more often than not, right? Uh, and they've they've got nowadays they've got the research of the internet to where they've made a lot of decisions based on their own time spending researching products and solutions. That, that they feel more educated probably than what most salespeople can educate them on. And, and perhaps the one of the ways, maybe, maybe not the best way, but one way to do this uh, to help overcome this objection is to uh, not negative sell, but help them understand that the outcome they are experiencing with the current system they've bought, right? Whatever it is, software, hardware, is a common outcome that other customers have achieved. So other companies have been in your shoes. They have bought this system and they are also experiencing these set of symptoms. Is that something that you're experiencing as well? So you're almost kind of abstracting the experience they're having with that that system and, and kind of compartmentalizing it or putting it into a slot so that they don't categorize your system with what they have achieved as well, which kind of leads into the next one, which is the ambiguity effect. Well, real quick before we yeah, go on to that sure. one, I would just say that if this doesn't prove some of the challenger sales stuff we've taught over the last few years, I don't know what does, right? If, you, if you're if you just pitching your product, and, and unfortunately we get a little lazy, a little average where we do that, you know, you're opening the door for attentional biases and all these other ones we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. But if you lead with um, some stories and some artifacts that bring the 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 customer information about their business and how your solution will help them solve and do better business from their business side, uh, I think you'll you'll be better off. And these attentional biases won't just happen. So true it does lead into the next one but it, all of these should help you believe more and more that taking a challenger approach will 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 make you a better rep teaching is always going to be better than pitching and i yeah and i, I think the we talk about the batting average your batting average as a salesperson often and this is heavily this heavily impacts your batting average I, we we only have so many prospects and so many doors that get opened and we want to make the most of that of course it's it's expensive from a time perspective and certainly from a cost of sale perspective but a lot of us aren't measured on cost of sale so let's just focus on what what does directly impact us and that's our time how many hours we have in a certain day or a certain week or month or year 
And if we want to focus on improving our bat- batting average and winning more of the deals, and by improving our bat- batting average, of course, I mean winning winning more deals than losing, then we focusing on more of the psychology effort, to your point, Bobby, is, is like the best way to improve your batting average. So attentional bias, all about helping kind of categorize the the impact that you're seeing because of the system that you bought three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago is a common one. We can help you um, overcome that. Um, And that leads to ambiguity effect, which is the tendency for a prospect to avoid scenario or a choice where a positive outcome is uncertain. So first when we compartmentalize the, the bad outcome they've had in the ambiguity effect, we help them focus on, a positive outcome they'll achieve with your wares, whatever those are. And of course that has to be aligned to things that you know about their business or things you hypothesize about their business. But this is a very simple one. Again, this, this is to the core of the challenger cell. You know, let's say it's a community bank and let's say you've, you've sold and successfully delivered 15 community banks across the United States, which wouldn't be a difficult thing to do, right? There's thousands of them, hundreds of them. And you've achieved great outcomes with these community banks, and you you start to build and archive these stories that you've you've helped these companies achieve. Hopefully, your your company is kind of is kind of doing this type of work. So you've compartmentalized the bad outcomes, and then you focus on the good outcomes uh, to help um, help them see the reliability and the reputation of your product, and 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 help connect them with customers that have had these good experiences, like even up front. So that's, again, that's a big part of the challenger cell is to, is to say, we can, we can help you achieve this. Here are six companies that have done something very similar. No doubt. And I think we're all probably uh, as being sold to, uh, on the negative side of the outcome or the thought process, worst case scenario kind of thing, right? How, how, bad is the experience going to be how long is this going to take we're not talking about the good so I, I do think it's up to the sales rep to be talking about those things and, and making the customer feel confident and comfortable that uh, as you said early on that that this is going to help them and it will be the right decision for them long term and if challenger sell is new to you think about it this way if um, you own a home today and let's say you've you did your mortgage five years ago and you can't even remember what the interest rate is but your mortgage broker calls you and he says, <clears throat> we should, uh, or let's say anybody calls you and says, you should re- refinance your home. All right. Yeah. Why okay. should I ref? Why? Why should I ref? That sounds like that. That doesn't sound like a free thing. Like, like what, what's in this for you? Like, that's the first thing that was going to come to my mind is what's in this for this person here. The challenge yourself approach would be, um, Brian, uh, I noticed that you bought this house, whether they are my original mortgage broker or not. Brian, we see that you bought your home in 2014 and interest rates in 2014 were X. Today, they're Y. So I'm going to make some assumptions here, Brian. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that you have great credit and I'm going to say that we can get you three points cheaper or two points cheaper on your interest rate today which could save you in a home of your size could save you X number of hundreds of dollars per month. Are you interested in exploring this further? Like that's a far yeah, on top more, of that, even on top of that though, would yeah. be a better challenger seller would be the guy or girl who said, and look, it's in the short term, it's going to cost you a thousand dollar origination fee, which mm-hmm. our bank's going to make. And what's in it for me is that thousand dollar origination fee. 
but you'll make your money back on that fee in six months by the money that I'm going to save you monthly. And if you, if you, if you plan on staying there for seven months, I'll save you at a minimum a hundred bucks in that seventh month. And then you'll save a hundred bucks every month thereafter. I win, you win, we all win. Don't you want to do business with me? Yeah. And, and by the way, in your neighborhood, uh, we've done six of these over the past year and they'll tell you that we're a great company to do business with. And I can, I can provide you references. It's so like it took to get that kind of pre-work done. It certainly took that mortgage broker, you know, several hours worth of work to have that kind of information at the ready. But how, how much better is their batting average uh, calling me with that kind of data or leaving me that kind of voicemail? That's probably the only voicemail I would return. Like I don't mm-hmm. even, I don't even look if I don't know the number. I don't even look at the voicemails anymore. There's so much. You know, My phone actually says stuff. fraud risk all the time now. <laughs> yeah, I wish. I, by the way, I wish I could just. <laughs> if they're so certain that it's fraud, like yeah, can we just, just don't let it ring. Yeah, just don't let it ring. What's going on with that? I feel like we're another two years away from really having that kind of stuff under control. All right, so the next one is the Parkinson's Law of Triviality. The Parkinson's Law of Triviality states that members of an organization tend to give undue attention or importance to easily understood issues instead of more important or impactful ones. And I love this, and there's multiple dimensions to this one. So I think the most, um, I think where this manifests itself most commonly is, let's say that you're doing a demo and they understand they're looking at your your product, your wares, and let's just say it's software, and you're you got a solution consultant doing a demo, and they're showing a certain part of it, and everyone in the room like hones in on this one little tiny function feature thing that's like, oh, that's so cool. We didn't have this in our other system, and you're kind of listening. You're like, yeah, it's, I'm I'm super glad that they think that's cool. That does nothing but kind of put extra little check marks by us. What what. It's a little worrisome, though, with the same piece because you know that's not something that the business is going to make a buying decision on, right? So they're focusing on a very small tactical item, a feature function that isn't going to make or break a business case. It's great that they check the box that you can do it, but it also kind of worries you about the sophistication of the organization because they're focusing on something that's very trivial to the overall value proposition. And I know I'm kind of blowing that out of proportion, right? Like, you want them to have a lot of uh, a lot of wows and ahs, oohs and ahs whenever they're seeing your product. Um, but if you start to see that they are focusing on a business case that has very little to do with major outcomes, you should be worried about their sophistication. Well, and the big the big risk there is if that one thing that they're honed in on is something that your competition can do as well, it's going to level the playing yeah. field very quickly. Um, which you don't want to have happen. Um, it may be a requirement or a core feature or something that you have to respond to, but you wouldn't want them to be overwhelmed with something that everybody can do. And then I think that it does, it goes back to the, maybe the mortgage example, like it's the longer term picture. It could be more about the commercial terms that your, your organization supplies that they're not familiar with that really confuses them. So they don't focus on that piece, but that could be the big swing reason to use your company over another company. Um, I guess don't let them focus on the smaller pieces. Let them realize the bigger, longer term value and benefits of your solution or product so that no one can compete. I mean, that's kind of the, that's kind of the trickery here. If there is one, we, we want, 
we want to be sole source. We want to be the only one that can provide this type of solution with these type of terms to make the customer the most successful. And the best sellers here help their buyer focus on the bigger picture. Um, I've got a great example of this from a few weeks ago to where we had one of the guys on my team, we were helping her put together the, the buyer, the prospective buyer put together a business case for why, why buy our product. And the items that that were being focused on were very tactical in nature. And what this great seller did was kind of reset the conversation a bit and help level up the category. So instead of like really tactical items, it was like, no, 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 really what you're talking about is organizational efficiency. And here are the outcomes that you can achieve through organizational efficiency. So really they were, the, the, the seller here was more of a coach to help uh, up level the sale here. Another dimension to this is, let's say that um, your your prospect is focusing on upfront costs, right? Let's say the deployment is expensive, but let's say the subscription kind of you know falls in line with what they're expecting for for a for a cloud application. Let's say we're we're talking about sometimes we're talking about fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. What again, where you have to coach your prospect is if if you intend to to live with this system for the next five or 10 years and you want to make an informed decision on a system that you can live with for the long term, are, what we're talking about with $50,000 over five or 10 years, what does that really mean? Like I get it. If the balance sheet is bad, like if they don't have cash, that's one thing. But if they have cash and we're talking about and we're tripping over fifty to $100,000, do they truly understand the impact that the system will have? And maybe it won't. And if it doesn't, then you might need to pick something else to sell. But um, you got to take a step back sometimes and help your, your prospects see the bigger picture. I like it. All right. Number four is confirmation bias. This is one that we, um, that we talked about in the uh, episode 10 months ago, but we talked about it more from our perspective versus their perspective And confirmation bias is embracing and amplifying of information that supports one's existing beliefs over new ones. So, for example, um, if you hear uh, that you have been acting unwisely or spending inefficiently, um, it's difficult for people to process. Like if you tell, if you tell a a customer that doesn't believe their system is bad, is bad, you're telling them they made a bad decision, and they don't even recognize that they've made a bad decision, which clearly isn't going to come off very well. Yeah, and I think this one jumps to me to to the to almost the age of the buyer right i mean depends on where they've grown up in technology and or in solutions and systems do they believe in the new right most of us are selling the new um i can think back to the days of virtualization when it first came out people mm-hmm. were like there's no way this is going to take on i can i can manage and see my servers usage and and how busy they are and how much processor i have and there's just you're not gonna be able to virtualize that and i'd lose the the hardware aspect well very very few people have hardware today that is their 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 operating systems live right on top of it Uh, the cloud is a great one of those examples where people for for a long long time didn't believe that they would ever let go of their email systems and you know no one hosts their email today and Many, many new things are going to continue to come, but that 
confirmation bias from a buyer's perspective is I know I can do this. I know how my team's done this for decades. I'm not going to, I'm not going to believe you when you tell me there's a better way to do it. And I think you have to be cautious of how you approach those conversations and then how you approach selling those solutions. Um, you, you really could perturb some, uh, gentlemen and women in organizations that have been around a long time and, and know they know their business better than you. One way I found that works pretty well here is to express what you've seen other companies uh, see. It kind of goes back to the first and the one that we talked about uh, around attentional bias is to say what companies tell me um, that run this type of system is that they have trouble with X, Y, or Z. Maybe that's they have trouble getting the kind of reports they need to run their business. Do you express any of these types of things? If the answer is no, it's no. But sometimes the answer, like sometimes you can kind of almost lead them to um, to admit those things versus, and then they can kind of, again, kind of categorize those problems as, oh man, I didn't, yeah, that is a system problem. Rather than saying, you don't have good reporting because you have that system. Like that's far more confrontational. Or Brian, you don't have a good interest rate because you bought in 2014. It's... Brian, instead, you know, what I've, what I have experienced is that company, people that bought a home in 2014 have an interest rate of X and today they're Y. Is this something that you're experiencing? And then you're, you're, again, you're not kind of forcefully telling them you've, you've made a bad choice here. Yeah. Another example of that would be going into that conversation. If you recognize the type of systems they have, if they, in the virtualization example, if they're all physical it's easy to hedge your bets and assume they like their physical environment. There's not, they, they don't just keep doing it to keep doing it. And I, I've had other people really want to stick with their physical environments for many, many years past someone else's. And what they, when they did make the change here, are a few things that they really got out of it that they weren't expecting and guide the customer to see the future as a, the, the really nice thing that they want to be able to achieve, not just, um, your speeds and feeds that would make the customer think you're just selling them on the idea. Talk to them as though they can see what they're going to get in the future. Yeah. Yeah. If you come aggr- I think the biggest takeaway on this is if you come, ag- this is a big self-awareness one. If you, if you come as the sales rep, that's the know-it-all that's like, Oh, I can't believe you've been doing it this way. If you even have a hint of that, they're going to be so put off that they're not, they're going to, they're not even going to want to defend their past decisions. They're going to want to get you out the door as quick as possible. Well, talk about one that's pretty similar. The next one, status quo bias, is, is a lot of what we're talking about here as well. The, these two probably piggyback together more than mm-hmm. any other two that we have. And the status quo bias is the desire to keep things the same, right? I mean, if you're in IT, you've had a failed project happen at some point, and you almost all of us can reflect on a time where we really just wish we wouldn't have flipped that switch. We wish we would have let things be the way they were. <clears throat> and that's created for business uh, and IT in general, this, this skittishness of making a big change. The cost of change is huge. Every organization knows that now. Uh, and they're probably better. Most people probably think they're better off just leaving things the same. Yeah, I think that's why most deals are lost to um, to inaction or, you know, pushing the project down the road or waiting until next year or, quote unquote, waiting till we have budget, then losing to an actual competitor here. And I this goes back to 
to what we talk about all the time when it comes to meeting preparation, prospect preparation. If, if you're where, it, let's say it's on the expensive end, is not tied to some sort of organizational objective, that's even possibly tied, you know, linked into their annual report of, of key objectives for the next fiscal year or current fiscal year. If your big expensive project isn't tied to that, it's risky. It, you just carry so much risk into the deal. That doesn't mean you don't pursue it, but it just you have to pursue it with a lot of caution and expect that it could very easily go to a no-action deal. But if somehow you can get your deal linked to something that's a big initiative to them, and I think people perceive that oh trying to find some uh, you know how it links to their to their annual report is impossible it's not impossible just you know take a few minutes to read we've done a several podcasts on on reading you know 10ks and, and getting ahead of that um it takes very little effort it can take 15 20 minutes to read a 10k to understand how you can align your your wares to their 10k potentially and it's got to be real it's got to be authentic but it doesn't take much time at all to do that no doubt. So the last one for today is selection bias. Why don't you talk through selection bias, Brian? Sure. Uh, selection bias is defined by noticing more of something once it's directly bought, brought to our attention. We've got a funny one going on my team right now to where one of the guys always notices a certain time of day on his on his uh, phone or his uh, clock, wherever he's at, and he'll text it out to the group. And that's very much the same uh, same thought pattern as this right here. And this works kind of both for and against people that are in sales. When you point out something that um, is a problem in their current system, let's say the deployment was really challenging for the system that they bought. It didn't kind of, you know, they kind of promised a lot of things that they didn't get uh, because of a challenging deployment or because of a product. You have to know that when they're evaluating your system as well, they're going to be thinking, man, we're just, are we just going to do the exact same thing that we did in the previous implementation? Like this looks beautiful on the screens. The demo system looks amazing, but it looked amazing five years ago when we bought this other system. How do we know that it's not going to be the exact same, uh, the same situation that we encountered five years ago? Isn't this like, uh, when I go visit a website and then I see ads for that company all the time in my Facebook feed, it just pops out at me, Brian. Indeed. I'm kidding. But this <laughs> is when you buy a new car and then you see that car yeah. everywhere all of a sudden. Uh, they're like, they like everyone bought that car. I think, I think the way that this works against us too, is that once, once we do point out some of those inconsistencies, then we have to, we have to help the customer see that across our solution stack and, and many sellers are, are afraid to do that, right, where you might fall short or where you might have weaknesses. The competition is going to be telling them about that. And the pros and cons of both systems will begin to highlight themselves a lot. So be be the forthcomer of that information. Uh, don't let them surprise you with it. Help them uh, see what you're Good, good sides are and the good things that your product and solution do and then don't shy away from some of the shortcomings because they will be shared with the customer somehow some way um, make sure you are the one giving that information not your competition and then help them again go back through these all six of these to make sure that you can overcome them and that your customer sees the greater good of your overall solution not just one little thing yeah and I would say as just a good practice is as you construct your win themes, 
consider these as part of your win themes too. If deployment, you know, was a challenge five years ago, the last time they deployed it, deployment should probably be one of your win themes. Like how, how are we going to ensure that they achieve the results they expected to achieve five years ago this time? Like how, how every interaction you have with them, how do you get them comfortable that it's going to be different this time? And and that's, not only is that just really good, it's really easy to tell talk with the customer and say, what would have made that better? And and I'm just going to yeah. give a high-level example. If they said, you know, we never got any updates throughout the entire deployment. We never got any updates. Then we went live, and it was a total fiasco. Well, in your win theme, the page, the cover page, and the executive summary, you could talk about how well you'll do project management, how well you'll provide updates, how you'll give status reporting on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis, whatever that might be. You get to you get to almost shoot down all these biases in your executive summary and throughout your win theme. Just ask some questions about how can we do better, and then play that all back to the customer. You'll be surprised how well received those win themes will be. Agreed. And with that, Bobby, we'll wrap up. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Don't be average. Be a bit of a psychologist here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.